Let's open, if you will, to Ezekiel chapter 3. Ezekiel chapter 3. If you're in your Bible, you opened up to the middle, you might hit a psalm. Keep going. You might hit eventually the book of Isaiah. Keep going. You might hit Jeremiah. Keep going. Lamentations is a little parenthesis before Ezekiel, and then you get to Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse 15. And once you find that, in honor of God and his word, let's stand together as we hear God's word read aloud. Ezekiel chapter 3. If, you're, if the pages of your Bible stick together in Ezekiel, you're not alone. It's not like the first book everyone goes to in their devotional life, but we're spending a few weeks on it this fall. So Ezekiel chapter 3, beginning in verse 16, beginning in verse 16. And at the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. And if I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give them no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way. He shall die for his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. Again, if a righteous person turns from his righteousness and commits injustice, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because you have not warned him, he shall die for his sin, and his righteous deeds that he has done shall not be remembered. But his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the righteous person not to sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning, and you will have delivered your soul. And the hand of the Lord was upon me there. And he said to me, Arise, go out into the valley, and there I will speak with you. So I arose and went into the valley, and behold, the glory of the Lord stood there like the glory that I had seen by the Kabar Canal, and I fell on my face. But the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet, and he spoke with me and said, Go shut yourself within your house. And you, O son of man, behold, cords will be placed upon you, and you shall be bound with them, so that you cannot go out among the people. And I will make your tongue cling to the roof of your mouth, so that you shall be mute and unable to reprove them, for they are a rebellious house. But when I speak with you, I will open your mouth, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. He who will hear, let him hear. And he will refuse to hear, let him refuse, for they are a rebellious house. This is God's word. Amen and amen. You may take a seat. You know, we all, over the course of um, 2020, the year 2020, um, with the pandemic, we were all shut in our houses, and we all did many things to get by. I, you know, we can self-report all those things later. One of the things, as we self-report as a family, is we got a dog. We got a COVID dog. Buddy the dog. Not Buddy the elf, although that movie's coming. Buddy the dog. Buddy is some sort of a mix of, now, bear with me on this. 
some sort of a mix of Chihuahua, Beagle, and Dachshund. Somewhere in, it's, you know, rebel mutation of a dog. Wonderful. He's not a big dog, but he's also not the smallest dog. So those of you who are like down on small dogs, not a small, small dog. He's not a large dog either. He's Buddy. Wherever we are, Buddy likes to be. Do you have a dog like this? Maybe you guys have pets. Everybody has pets, and everybody's got the endearing. You, maybe you do little videos of your pet, and you put them on Instagram. Maybe your pet even has their own Instagram account. I don't know if that's you. Maybe it is. Buddy will, one of the things that Buddy will do, if you're sitting on the couch, he'll come sit next to you, and he'll put his chin on your leg. He'll just kind of put his chin right up there, and he'll watch TV with you or whatever you're doing. He'll nestle up beside you. Sometimes Buddy will come up next to you, and he'll just put his paw on your leg. He'll just do that. You know, it's, it's like Buddy just wants, Buddy wants to know that you know, that he knows that you're there and that he's there. Like Buddy somehow wants to know that. And there's some people in our family who like to speak on behalf of Buddy. And they sort of put Buddy's thoughts, imagined thoughts, into words. And of course in Buddy's mind, I, my name is Mr. Craig. Mr. Craig? Mr. Craig, are you there? Mr. Craig? So people like to put Buddy's thoughts into, into words. It's kind of a gift, I suppose. That's a spiritual gift for you to speak on behalf of your pet. But Buddy also has um, some kind of stranger danger radar. If you have a dog, if you have a dog, you might have experienced this. And Buddy has some kind of acute sixth sense whenever someone is too close to the house. Okay? Does anybody have a dog like that? And Buddy is a barker. Buddy barks. He will, he, I know, you're like, already Buddy sounds chihuahua, barking, like this is, it's not going well in your mind. Um, but if somebody comes remotely unknown, close to the house, someone unknown comes close to the house, Buddy will let you know. And Buddy, um, Buddy doesn't do it out on walks, but only at home. And if, if, you, if Buddy doesn't know you, he will let it be known that he does not know you. So repairmen, Amazon delivery people, if you come over to visit, like Buddy will let you know, and then we'll show you where the treats are, and you give him a treat, and he's good to go. Okay, that's the way Buddy works. Now, Buddy, for the sake of our passage, Buddy is our Ezekiel. Okay, we're going to look at this passage today, but it's true. You're like, how are you getting this, Pastor Craig? Buddy is our watchman. He's our watchman. And in this passage today, what we're doing this morning is we are exploring Ezekiel's call. And the very first thing in our passage that Ezekiel is called to be, we've seen him be called as a prophet, but we're seeing him being called as a watchman. And in our case, we're going to find some parallels to what does it mean to be a watchman. Buddy is our Ezekiel in this matter. So as we look at our passage, look at Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 15. And as we're kind of leading up to this, we've spent a couple of weeks kind of leading up to this point, and this is our last week on the call of Ezekiel, and then we're going to actually look at what Ezekiel is going to preach. What is his message? 
But we've already seen that in chapter 1, Ezekiel is in this refugee camp in Babylon. The Jew, he was in the first or second wave of the Jews who had been taken captive out of Babylon. And they're, they're placed in this refugee camp in Babylon by the Kabar Canal. And the Kabar Canal sounds like this very exotic location. The Kabar Canal is an irrigation ditch. And Ezekiel's sitting by this irrigation ditch in a, in a Jewish refugee camp in Babylon. He has this massive vision coming out of the north, this dust cloud coming out of the north with lightning and thunder all coming out of the north and these crazy creatures and this awesome vision of God's glory, or as Ezekiel says it, because he has no words for it. He says, it's the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God, and it changes Ezekiel. And the vision after the vision, you have the call of Ezekiel. And after the call of Ezekiel, Ezekiel, you've been a priest. You've been training to be a priest. And what I'm going to make you is I'm going to make you a prophet. You were called to be a smoother of relationships, but now I'm going to make you an instigator. And Ezekiel, when he hears this, if you look at verse 15, look at verse 15 as we get into our passage, this vocational change Whatever this was, this news was overwhelming to Ezekiel. Whether it was the vision of God or the change in vocation, in 3.15 it says, I came to the exiles at Tel Abib who were dwelling by the Kabar Canal, and I sat where they were dwelling, and I sat there overwhelmed for seven days. And so Ezekiel has this vision, and he has this call on his life that God gives him, but the call is overwhelming to him, and he sits, whether it's in shock or overwhelmed or depressed, whatever it is, he goes down for seven days. I don't know if you've ever done that before, okay? But in, in a lot of ways, whatever news this was that put him down, it put him down for seven days. And this vision, this call on his life, continues in 316, at the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me. So seven days of this shock, of this depression, of this being overwhelmed, and after this big vision, this huge vision of God, now God is going to speak to him again. Verse 16, at the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. Now, part of this, to understand what a watchman is, we have to understand how cities were built in the ancient world, particularly in Israel. And ancient, in the ancient world, see, the, the Romans, the Romans, the, Greek, the Greeks and the Romans, they liked to control the roads. If you controlled the roads, you could build, you could build towns and you could build cities with no walls on them. But before the Greeks and the Romans, if you were to build a city and you wanted to protect the city, you built a city on top of a hill or a mound, like that was a defensible position all around, and you built walls all around it, and on these walls you built really tall towers. And on these really tall towers, you would put somebody up there, and their job was to look out far out on the plain as they could. Now, if you go to Israel, we will go in September, okay, uh, that you can go to various places where you can see, if you get up really high, you can see a long way out. You go up by the Dead Sea, where Masada was. Masada is this great, this, this kind of last stand fortress. You go up to the top of Masada, you can see hundreds of miles. And if, if, if there's an invading army coming, you can see the dust 
coming up of their marching. And so if you were a watchman, you would stand on this high place, and if you saw people coming, you would either yell down or you would get out a trumpet or you would get out a shofar. It's just, anyway, and you would blow the horn. And you would warn people that someone is coming with ill intent, that there's trouble on the way. It's not here now, but it's on its way. That was the job of the watchman. The watchman was to give call that there was trouble coming. Probably, if we think about our own, maybe a... um, Something that we might be familiar with, if you think about World War II, like you think about Britain in World War II, that the Germans were running, were bombing the nation of England. And so, and it wasn't all day long, but you would have these people that were out watching and they would give word and then they would, their, their call was, if you see bombers coming, you run the air raid siren, right? And the air raid siren meant everybody go down into their bomb shelter, their basement, but if, if they didn't run the air raid siren, you would get, you would get bombed, you didn't know it was coming. And so the, the watchman, in many ways, was like the air raid warden in World War II. Paul Revere in the American Revolution, right? He's on a horse, and what is he saying? Thank you very much. I don't have to go back and reteach, you know. But the British are coming, the British are coming, the British are coming. And so he's, running, he's riding through town after town after town, saying they're not here right now, but they're on their way. That's a watchman. And the system is, you've got this early warning system. It works great in theory. Trouble comes, the watchmen warn, and the people prepare. And if you were in a city, your job, if you heard the watchmen, is you would, get, you would either get ready to defend the city, or if the army was huge, you would gather up your stuff and you would go hide in caves in the, in the, in the hills until this army came through, took whatever they want, and they left. But you had a job. If you heard the watchman's call or the watchman's sound, you would prepare. And the system was a good system. But the system can break down. And God, when he talks to his people, will oftentimes use this system as an example of how God is warning or where this is breaking down. For example, this is where Buddy the dog comes in. Okay? In Isaiah 56, Isaiah compares bad watchmen to dogs that cannot bark. Or, my favorite, is watchmen are compared to dogs who love to sleep. See, Buddy's a great watchdog unless he's asleep. And if he's asleep, you might have a dog like this that like just sleeps through everything. Buddy's not like that. Buddy's like on caffeine all day long. We don't even give it to him, but like it's like a cappuccino every day for Buddy. But you might have a dog that just loves to sleep bad watchdog. And God will say, God, Isaiah will compare that the watchman can break down. If you have a watchman who doesn't warn or you have a watchman who's asleep, that's no watchman. Or as Jeremiah and Ezekiel both say, they are contemporaries, they live at the same time, they both say during this time that there are watchmen up top that are saying, peace, peace, while destruction is coming into town. And so you have a watchman who gives the wrong message, and that is also dangerous. That's a breakdown of the system. Or as Jeremiah notes, the system can also break down in this way. Jeremiah 6 says that God God says he's put watchmen among them who say, listen for the trumpet, and the people say, we will not listen for the trumpet. 
And you could have a breakdown in a number of ways. You can either have a dog that doesn't bark. You could, have, you could have a dog that's asleep. You could have a watchman who says, peace, peace, when it's trouble that's coming. Or you can have people that say, I don't care. Like, what's the deal with the trumpet? And God makes it clear to Ezekiel that at this time, and in Ezekiel's case, there will be no failure of the watchman. For Ezekiel, God is going to make it clear that Ezekiel has a job to do, and there will be no failure with the watchman. Look at 3.18. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. In other words, if there's a wicked person and they're just wicked, 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 I don't even, how do you describe the wicked behavior? Wicked, 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 wicked. Okay? They're just wicketing all over the place. And Ezekiel just says, they're a lost cause. I don't need to warn them. God says, look, when they die for their wickedness, it's on you, Ezekiel. If you don't warn them, you will be held accountable. If there's a failure on the side of the watchman, there will be accountability. On the other hand, look at 319. If you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die for his iniquity, but you will have delivered your own soul. If you do your job, it won't be on you. They will die because of their wickedness, but it will not be on you. If there's a failure on the part in the whole system of the watchman system, Trouble's coming, watchman warning, people heed the warning. If there is trouble, if, if there is a, in that system, if it's going to break down, it will not be on the part of the watchman, it will be on the part of the listener. And Ezekiel, with this call, is in, he finds himself in mortal danger. So he's already had this image, this vision of God coming to him in this awesomeness, and it's, it shocked him, it crushed him, seven days, and now God's like, hey, Stand up, stand up. Look, if you don't warn these people, it's on you. Like, imagine what this is like for Ezekiel. Like, he's already had this, he's already been taken into captivity. His vocation has already been changed. Trained to be a priest, now I'm going to be a prophet. And now it's like, look, if they, it's not about the results, but if you don't warn them, it's on you, Ezekiel. Same thing with the righteous. Look at 320. Again, if a righteous person turns from his righteousness, commits injustice, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he's going to die. Because you have not warned him that he shall die for his sin, his righteous deeds that he has done shall not be remembered. His blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the righteous person not to sin, he doesn't sin, he will live because he took warning, you will be delivered, you will have delivered your own soul. You guys get the idea here. The responsibility is going to be placed on Ezekiel, not to change people's ways, but to be faithful to warn. He is the watchman, and the watchman's job is not to fight off the enemy that's coming, but simply to warn the people to prepare for that. So this is the responsibility of Ezekiel. If you don't warn the wicked, they will die in their wickedness. It's on you. If the righteous stumble and you don't warn them, that's on you too. And this can seem like an overwhelming task. 
And this is the first part of the task. And you, can, you might get a, you, you get a sense of the overwhelmingness of this task. Even as I talk to you guys and you think about, like if, if we make a one-to-one correlation between the call of Ezekiel and our call, and you think about where we live and the city we live in, and the idea that is the blood on our heads of the people of our city if we do not tell them if we do not warn them. And so, now there's going to be, we're going to talk about some of the differences between Ezekiel's call and our call as followers of Jesus. We'll talk about, because remember, the sto- remember we, you don't get to choose where you're born in the story, right? We talked about this. You didn't get to choose where you were born or what time in human history that you were born. And there were probably some advantages for where you were born and some disadvantages to where you were born, but you didn't get to choose what part of the story you were born into, what part of God's story you were born into. So we're gonna, we're, we'll talk about that in just a second, but listen to this next part. And I'm not sure if this next part is helpful to Ezekiel or whether it's even more of a crushing burden on Ezekiel. And, and um, scholars are a little bit mixed on whether this next part actually helps Ezekiel out or whether this next part is just more on Ezekiel. Look at 3.22. So he says, the hand of the Lord was upon me there. Now, that that phrase, the hand of the Lord was upon me, usually has a sense that whatever's happening felt heavy. That the hand of the Lord was upon me. There was a heaviness upon me. And he said to me, arise, go out in the valley, and there I will speak with you. So Ezekiel gets up, and he goes out in the valley, and it says, behold, the glory of the Lord stood there like the glory that I had seen by the Kabar Canal, and I fell on my face. So we have now a repeat. We've had this seven-day pause between the first major vision, and now this seven-day pause. You're going to be a watchman, and the hand of the Lord is heavy upon Ezekiel, and he says, go out in the valley, and another vision comes to him. Like the same one, the glory of the Lord appears to him. And he falls on his face. Look at 24. But the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. Isn't that great how a lot of, and we'll see this with Ezekiel. Ezekiel sees the glory of the Lord, falls on his face, the Spirit enters into him and stands him back up. And I think even with, with this idea that like, hey, you've got a job to do, you can't, I mean, look, it's great, and we sang, holy, holy is the Lord, and that's the sort of thing that when we think about the holiness of the Lord, we fall on our face because of, of the amazing glory of the Lord, right? Like, that's awesome, but in this case, and what I think we find is that we, we can bow on our face, but God says, I have work to do. The Spirit goes in, stands him up. You got to get on your feet. There's work to be done. And this is the work that is done. Look at verse 24. Spirit entered into me, set me on my feet, and spoke with me and said, go shut yourself in your house. What? I thought you just told me to warn everybody. No, no, no. Go shut yourself in your house. Okay. And you, O son of man, behold, cords will be placed upon you and you will be bound with them. You cannot go out among your people. I thought you told me I needed to go out and warn everybody, but now you got to be in your house. Cords on you. Verse 26, I will make your tongue cling to the roof of your mouth. Literally, your tongue will be bound so that you shall be mute and unable to reprove them for they are a rebellious house. Verse 27, but when I speak with you, I will open your mouth 
and you shall say to them, Thus saith the Lord God. He who will hear, let him hear. He will refuse to hear, let him refuse, for they are a rebellious house. So as we think about the work of Ezekiel, this is the, God has this amazing vision. He falls on his face. Seven days, you're a watchman. You've got to warn. But the way you're going to warn is you are going to stay in your house. And this is kind of a weird thing about Ezekiel. Ezekiel is going to be a prophet at home. And the first half of the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel is essentially homebound. And when it's either in his house or outside, right out in front of his house, he's going to do all these kind of weird acts. He's going to cut his hair. He's going to have a little model of Jerusalem and lay siege to it. It's all going to be right in front of his house. But this is going to be the location of his prophetic ministry. And I think what's interesting is, in this case, God says, look, I don't want you just out there as a babbling warner. I don't want you out there just like a barking dog, like bark, 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 bark. I want you to be selective in what you say. Only when I'm going to bind your tongue, you're not going to be able to say really anything until I speak to you. And I don't know if this is helpful for Ezekiel or not, because you think about the overwhelming task. All these people, and I've got to warn all of them, but God says, no, 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 here's what's going to happen. We're going to keep you at home, And only when I speak to you, that's when you're going to speak out. I don't know if it's helpful to Ezekiel or not, but he's going to say, stay there. And we're going to find that what happens, like in chapter 8, all the elders come to his house. And in the book, throughout the book of Ezekiel, you're going to see other people coming to his house, some people to hear what he has to say. Other people will just come for entertainment. Because Ezekiel is kind of a weirdo. I mean, he is. He, he's going to do some very strange things. And the people who gather around are going to be either earnestly listening or they're just going to be there because it's a sideshow. And God says, what you need to do is simply open your mouth when I ask you to open your mouth. Ezekiel's charges, whenever the Lord speaks, you speak. Now, just as an aside... That's not bad advice for us, is it? <laughs> like, I think of all the times I get in trouble saying things that I probably shouldn't say, it's not because the Lord told me to say them. Like, I just, I'm careless with words. And I think one of the things that we find with Ezekiel is God's going to say, Ezekiel, I'm going to make you a prophet, I'm going to make you a watchman, but I'm not going to make you careless with the trumpet you blow. When I speak to you, that's when you speak. Now, that, that's, I don't think that's the main point of the passage, but I wanted to give that because I, I, I'm probably the only person, I'm preaching to myself, I'm the only person who really needs that, that admonishment. Only speak when you know that the Lord is behind it. But that's the idea. So Ezekiel, whenever the Lord speaks, you speak. If you look back up in chapter 5 and verse, if you look back in, where are we at? We're... Um, That's chapter 3. I'm thinking of another passage. Um, Back in chapter 3, it talks about whenever you hear, this is 317, whenever you hear a word from my mouth, then you shall give them warning from me. And so this is the theme. It's whenever God speaks, Ezekiel will speak. All right. So Ezekiel, and and when Ezekiel speaks, it's going to be this, this message of woe, that 
there's no turning back. The Babylonians are coming. They, they're going to destroy Jerusalem. Even if you pray that they don't, it's going to happen anyway. And Ezekiel is born into a story at a very difficult time. And I don't know about you, but maybe you're, you find yourself in the middle of a story where you wish you could go back and make it different, and you are in a spot where like, you have to deal with a lot of mistakes from the past, other people's mistakes, and Ezekiel was in that spot. He's at the very bottom. It's like, and, and God has already said this through the prophet, prophet Jeremiah that even if you pray and repent, even if you pray and repent, the Babylonians are still going to come. There's no way around it. It is, it is, you are doomed no matter what you do. And that's Ezekiel. Ezekiel's already been taken into captivity. God says, Jerusalem is going to fall. There's going to be another wave of captives coming. No matter how much you repent, and, but you should repent, but that's not going to change what's happening. And Ezekiel is born in the situation where he is simply at this point a prophet of doom. He is just there to warn, destruction is coming, repent, but even if you do repent, destruction is still coming. But it's still good to repent. <laughs> what a great message, right? That's what Ezekiel is called to say. Now here's, this is where, for us, I want us to reflect a little bit on Ezekiel's call and our call. Like, how is, what is the call of Ezekiel and how does it relate to our call? Because if we do take this idea of what Ezekiel's call is and you put a one-to-one -one correlation on us, like, there is a sense of which is this the call? Like, is the blood of all of these neighbors on my head? And, and I, I want to talk about that a little bit, okay? I think one of the things we need to understand, again, this idea, we're not, we don't get to choose where we're born into the story. And if we were born into Ezekiel's day, our call might be different than if we're born today. In other words, we come in an in a after-Jesus era, Ezekiel was in a pre-Jesus era, before the Messiah, before the work. You think about the cross. The cross is a fulcrum point on which everything hinges. There's before the cross and there's after the cross. Before Jesus and after Jesus. And we're born into an after-Jesus era. And if we think about Ezekiel's call, if we think about Ezekiel's call, Ezekiel is called to be a watchman and to sound the alarm for the righteous and the wicked. And here's one way that I think that Ezekiel's call, whether you're before the cross or after the cross, here's one way that Ezekiel's call I think is the same as our call. And that is this. All need to hear. It reminds me of, in the Gospels, the, the, the parable of the, of the sower and the four soils. And you've got the sower goes out to sow seed, and some of it lands on the hard ground, some of it lands on the rocky ground, some of it lands on the weedy ground, and some of it lands on the good soil. You get, it must, should be called the, the parable of the careless sower, right? Like good, good farmers only throw on good soil. Jesus says, no, the parable of the sower is the sower is chucking seed everywhere, everywhere. He's not inspecting the soil. He's just chucking seed. That's, in Jesus' understanding of the kingdom, that is a responsible sower in the kingdom. And like Ezekiel, Ezekiel is told, you gotta warn the wicked whether they turn or not, and you gotta warn the righteous whether they stay righteous or not. You have to lay it out to everybody. 
hard soil, rocky soil, weedy soil, good soil. The sower's job is to throw seeds. One of the commentators on Ezekiel says, our calling as watchmen is not to engage in endless soil analysis so that we can deliver the gospel with pinpoint accuracy to those we think are ready to receive it. Rather, we are to be faithful shouters of the word, proclaiming the good news and the bad news faithfully into the lives of those around us. And I think one way that the call of Ezekiel, that we can mirror that call in our own lives, Ezekiel is called to give the message to whoever, regardless of the response, and in that way, to fulfill the call of God on our lives. I think, I think that's a carryover that we have in here. How is the call of Ezekiel not like our call? Okay, here's, a, here's one thing, okay? Ezekiel, and maybe some of you are like, Ezekiel is pumping me up because Ezekiel is a harbinger of doom. And I particularly like being a harbinger of doom. You might not think about that, but you're like, look, I've got a good rant about pretty much everything that's going wrong in this world. Does anybody know anybody like that? Anybody, someone like that? I've, I'm like, I'm totally like that. Ask me on any topic. I've got a good maybe 15 minutes on every topic about what's wrong in this world. Name a topic, I'm ready to go. It's like Ezekiel, the prophet of woe. And when you think about the prophet of woe, and I suppose this, we have no shortage of prophets of woe in our world right now. Like, I think there's too many people who kind of fancy themselves an Ezekiel. Don't you think? It's just woe after woe and warning after warning after warning, and maybe we just, we lean into it too. We're ready. I'm ready to videotape myself, put it on Instagram, put it on Facebook. I'm going to rant this. I'm going to tell people what it is. I'm going to drop the mic. I'm out, right? Maybe that's, maybe that's you. Look, there's no shortage of people like that today. And I suppose if Ezekiel was alive, he'd be like, all right. Okay, I suppose we can do that. But the call of Ezekiel in this way is not like our call. And again, we are not born before the cross. We're born after the work of Jesus. And the dominant image in the New Testament is not the image of the watchman. As a matter of fact, the writers of the New Testament actually offer a different image of what we are. See, a watchman is a harbinger of doom. A watchman is someone who stands up and says, that invading army's coming and they're gonna wipe out the city, run for the hills. Okay, that's a harbinger of doom. That is not the image that we are given in the New Testament. We're gonna put up, in 2 Corinthians chapter five, let me, you don't have to turn there, we're gonna put it on the board. It says this. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come, which gives us a sense of that we're, we have the old before the work of Jesus, and now we have the new, and this is, what, this is what he's saying. Verse 18, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, hang out on this. It doesn't say he has given us the ministry of watchmen. It's a different ministry. And we're going to see a little bit. It's not the harbinger of doom. Go to the next verse. In verse 19, that is that, Christ, that in Christ, 
God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And this, the last verse in verse 20, this is the image. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. See, watchmen stayed in the tower and they were harbingers of doom. Do you know what ambassadors do? They go out of the city and they walk out to the invading army. And they reconcile. They relationally make whatever the problem is. The ambassadors go out and they make relational reconciliation that there's, there's enmity between God and humanity, that humans have rebelled. And the ambassadors go out to those who have an issue, have a problem, and they say, we implore you, look at this, that God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of God, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled. We don't get to choose where we're born into this story. And we might be way more comfortable being an Ezekiel. You suck, and you suck, and all you suck. You could say that, and you got plenty of people out there that feel, it looks like, and they feel like, and they're at home living in the world of Ezekiel and, and the calling of Ezekiel. There's no shortage of the harbingers of doom out there. But that is not the calling of the follower of Jesus. Certainly as an ambassador, you give the bad news, but the ambassador comes to say, there is good news. Don't rebel against your creator. He loves you. He's not counting your trespass against you. Now, there will come a day, but now, he, this is the season of making it right In a sense, we're not watchmen, we are ambassadors. And we don't sit in a tower, we go out. This is why, this is why I'm at a city council meeting. This is why we're loving orange. This is why we're picking up trash. Because we don't just sit in here like watchmen saying, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. We could say that all day long. We could say it all day long and we would be right. We would be right, but we would be alone. God says, look, on this side of the cross, on this side of the cross, you are ambassadors. You could be a watchman, but you, I need you. I've got plenty of barking dogs. I have got plenty of barking dogs. I don't need a barking dog. I need somebody who will go out, put their arm around somebody, and implore them, and reason with them, and love them. God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He has made us ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal, kind of like Ezekiel. I will say something to you, Ezekiel, and you will open your mouth. And on that side of the cross, it's woe. But on this side of the cross, look, I will make my appeal and I will do it through your mouth. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Be, be, uh, be uh, relationally reconciled to God. We are ambassadors. We're not in the age of Ezekiel. We are in the age of Jesus. And God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He's entrusted it to us. He's entrusted it to us. 
And I don't know if I would use the language of their blood is on our head, but I would just say this, it's our responsibility. It's our responsibility. You know, in um, the last thing in this passage, it ends. It ends with, um, he who will hear, let him hear. He who will refuse to hear, let him refuse. You know, there's, there's two other places. One other place in the Gospels where Jesus uses this phrase. You know the other place where it's used? Is in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, when Jesus is speaking to the church. The seven churches of the book of Revelation. And he's got a lot of things to say to them, and some of them are doing well, and some of them have lost their first love, and some of them are lukewarm and all this stuff. But at the end, Jesus will say, he who has an ear, let him hear. And whether or not the blood is on our head, we are given the responsibility, and I would simply say this, he who has an ear, let him hear. Our call is to love our city, to reconcile them to God, to find a way to implore and to work with them, to figure out what is it that separates you from God. Let's take every, every one of those things and let's break them down so that you can be reconciled to God. Let's figure that out. Like I said, we have plenty of barking dogs in our world, harbingers of doom. And we'll, we'll actually have a whole sermon on false prophets, if we will. And it's, it's not that people are false, but they just focus on lesser things. Like, they, whatever, if you have a megaphone, only use it for the most important things. And I think right now we've got a lot of people with megaphones that are using it for lesser things. We got plenty of barking dogs. And there's so many early warning systems and people who self-style themselves as prophets and their messages are messages of doom. And we are not. We are not messengers of doom. We're messengers of hope. And so the call of the followers of Jesus is to be agents of reconciliation. Strong voices that offer it as broadly as we can. Sowers of seed that don't care what soil they're sowing on just happy to be called. Let's pray. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. Father, we, we thank you. And even as, as we've, we've been hearing this and we've been hearing this passage that maybe certain, a certain person or a certain place or a certain group of people has come to mind that we are called towards or maybe even just the idea of like, hey, I want to serve my city and just I, I want to sign up for, for one of these projects. Just a, a step in the right direction. It's not, it's not the end. It might be the beginning of something. But Father, I just pray that as the Spirit is working on each of us, that you would now move us in a direction. Move us toward that person. Move us toward that place. Move us toward those people. Not with the animus of doom, but with the love that comes from your Holy Spirit on this side of the cross, as an agent of reconciliation, move us into our world. Father, we recognize that by nature we were objects of wrath, darkened in our minds, hardened in our hearts, sinners deserving death. But you, rich in mercy, you called us, we put our faith and trust in Jesus, and we have been reconciled to you, and now we are agents of reconciliation. We recognize that, and we want to lean into that calling. Father, we love you, and we pray, move us as you would. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.